Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Vineyard Community Church. This is Palm Sunday weekend, and so we're, we're in the midst of a between series. I wanted to take some time today to talk about uh, um, you know, what Palm Sunday is briefly, and really we're going to focus in on the cross on this weekend, and then next weekend we'll be talking about the resurrection and the empty tomb and how they fit together. And, uh, and so it, it'll kind of get us ready for the entire week. At least that's my hope. That's the brief intro. Uh, a bad joke or two. I bought the world's worst thesaurus yesterday. Not only is it terrible, it's terrible. <laughs> the guy walks into a bar and orders a fruit punch. The bartender says, listen, buddy, if you want a punch, you'll have to stand in line. The guy looks around, but there is no punch line. I'm sorry. I love that kind of joke. There's no punch line. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, they haven't gotten any better. See, you take a break, and it just they're still here. What's the difference between a good joke and a bad joke timing? Scripture reading. <laughs> well, I got you that time. Matthew 27, 26 through 44. And, and these, these verses occur now. So Palm Sunday happens, and here's the thing. Jesus has entered, he enters in on Palm Sunday in Jerusalem. And things are good. Um, the crowds are praising him for the miracles that he's done. There's a celebration happening as he rides in on a donkey. But they're convinced that what he's about to do is take over politically. That he's about to become king and, and he's going to put the Romans in their place and restore the, you know, the people of Israel back to the way they knew life at the time of David and Solomon. And that's what they're looking for and it becomes apparent very quickly that that's not what he's going to do. And as he continues to talk to his disciples about the cross and about um, being crucified. And so from Sunday, his triumphal entry, which is what we celebrate on Palm Sunday, uh, until the events of Thursday night and Friday, um, things have gone downhill to the point now where um, because he hasn't done what they wanted, they've, they've decided that the best thing they can do with him is have him killed. And that's their answer to him not um, doing what they want. And so false trials have happened at this point, and um, even though no one could find any basis to convict him, he's been handed over um, to be crucified. And we'll pick up the story there, verse 26. Uh, then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And they twisted, and then twisted a crown of thorns, and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand, and knelt in front of him, and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him, and took the staff, and struck him on the head again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe, and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. 
And when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So, um, these events that Jesus endures are horrific. Um, his, he's been betrayed at this point by Judas. Um, he's been denied by Peter. All the rest of his disciples have run, and they've taken off. All the crowds who'd been cheering for him just days before are now, instead of cheering for him, are cheering for him to be crucified. He's endured um, false trials um, with, with Herod and Pilate, uh, where no witnesses were presented to um, give any reason for him to be crucified. And yet, these leaders have caved into pressure, and they've decided to let him be crucified. He's been beaten and whipped and tortured and humiliated um, by the crowds, uh, mocked. Um, uh, and, and now they're at the end, while crucified, a horrific um, way to die. The, the crowds around there in this big sort of party atmosphere are mocking him still. If you are this, if you are that, if you are the Son of God, if you are the King, save yourself. Uh, all this is going on, and, and yet Jesus endures it all. Because he could have, at any point in time, stopped the entire proceeding. He had been walking away from these people whenever he wanted to for three years. He had been, you know, avoiding them whenever he, he needed to. But he was this time going to the cross because this was his purpose and this was his mission. He was going to exchange his life for ours. So there would be a way for us who have been separated by God because of our sin, there would be a way made by him to be reconciled to God. So, so even though he could have saved himself at any time, that wasn't why he came. He came to save us. He came to seek and save those who were lost, which is us. So point number one in your notes is this, that Jesus endured the cross for you. He goes through all this for you. He does it for you. Hebrews 12, the writer of Hebrews says this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And there's a phrase in that verse that always just strikes me as so powerful, for the joy set before him. He did it for the joy set before him. What was the joy set before him? What motivated Jesus to endure the pain and the shame of the cross? Was it sitting at the right hand of God, which we read about? Was it being restored to glory? But since he already had those things before he came in the flesh, I don't think that's what motivated him all. The, the reason that he came and lived among us, the reason that he went to, his, to the cross, his mission was that he would end up with something more 
than he had when he came. And that something is you. You were what was missing. He was already in the throne room. He was already there. He had all those things that he's returning to. They were all his. Uh, and what was missing was you. You weren't there. So he came for you. You are the joy set before him. You are the reason he endured it and went through it all. He did it for you. And he did it because he loves you. And he wanted to be in relationship with you. And he was making a way for that to be possible. That's how much he loves you. John 15, 9 through 17 says, Jesus said this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. See, we, we know that Jesus endures the cross for us. Greater love has no one than this that he said. Then he laid down his life for his friends. And he does that for us. And so our response to his love is to learn to love like he does. That needs to be our response. Because sometimes I had some great discussions this week with some of my friends. When I, when I said, what do you think about this? You're the joy set before him. And, and sometimes the reaction was, if I'm the joy set before him, I need to do a whole lot better. <laughs> and I think we can take that in and we, go, we could get very performance sort of. But, but the reality is, what we need to do in response to his love for us is to love like he does. That's what we need to do. That's where we're going to find life. And so the second point in your notes is this, that love has to be the motivation of our lives. Love has to be the motivation of our lives. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3 says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul is, is saying to us that in this life um, and, and in people that are trying to follow God, we could have a very polished outward self. We, we could uh, have a lot of behaviors in place that make us look very spiritual um, and we could be doing a whole lot of those things. But if we don't love well the way he does, we're missing the point. If, if our motivation for this life isn't loving well, then we're missing the point. And, and so our motivation is really important. Uh, you know, why do we do the things that we do? None of us have completely pure motives. None of us. So we need to be thinking about what motivates us all the time. I think it's a constant. It's one of those things that you should be evaluating in your life. What is it that's motivating you in certain situations? Are, is it fear? Is it guilt? Is it greed? Is it ego? The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2, 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. 
But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. So it's, a, it's a clear look for us to think about what's motivating us. And our motivation for life has to be love if we're going to experience life. John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus again, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. This, this life, this motivation for our lives is so important that Jesus actually says, when people see you loving well, when they see that there's something different about you, because you, you really are trying to love extravagantly, you're trying to love God, and you're trying to love others, when people see that, they'll know that, that you're my disciples. It's, it's how the world knows that we really do have something to offer, is that they see in us something that they don't see in other places. People that love well, that are, that are at least trying to love well, that are, that are trying to get outside themselves and, and see people and meet them where they're at and, and encourage them and pray for them and bless them with, with uh, you know, however we can and whatever we can do. And, and love is the only motivation that will help us in trying to do the next right thing. We have to talk about that a lot here, is knowing the will of God for our lives. Love is, is what motivates us to do that. If it's not for love, there's no real reason to do that. Um, you know, because we don't earn anything. It's not our performance. It's about loving well, loving God, loving others, loving ourselves. And so, you know, this week, as we sort of head into this big weekend, next week, you know, I want you to sort of challenge yourself. What are you doing? Ask yourself, what are the things that you're doing with wrong motives? What, what is it that you do? Perhaps it's motivated by fear. And, and it's a good thing to ask yourself. Fear is a terrible motivation, and yet it's something that motivates a lot of us in a lot of ways. What are you doing that's motivated by fear? What are you doing that's motivated by guilt? Another terrible motivator. Guilt. Being guilted into doing something. It never feels clean when you do it. And, and it's a a horrible motivation and yet sometimes it's in there. What are you doing that's motivated by greed? By just having to, to have whatever it is that you think is more important than anything else. And, and we've we got to be careful because culturally that's a big pull on us. What are you doing that's motivated by ego? Where, you know, I, I just got to have my way. It's a, I just, it's got to look good. I got to look right, whatever it might be. What, what, what is it that's maybe happening there? James 4, 1 through 3. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you can't have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You don't have because you don't have God. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So our, our motives um, need to be looked at, challenged, thought about, prayed over. And, and wherever those motivations aren't love, we need to do something different. We have to look at them. And then what we need to do, and this is the third thing, is we need to learn to pass everything through the filter of love. Through the filter of love. There's actually a nice love filter in the Bible. And, and uh, I'm sure I've told you it before, but I always like to come back here and tell you it again. And we actually read the verses leading up to this just a minute ago, but it's it's so easy to get distracted, so get so busy to be convinced that our way is the right way, uh, to, to get self-focused that we can miss God in a situation. And so there's this great passage of Scripture, and I love to call it the love filter. And it's 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. And if you've been here for any length of time, you 
You may have memorized it because I've asked you to do that several different times. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So I like to think of that as the love filter because it teaches us what love looks like. See, one of the neat things you can do, because in the Bible, um, we know that God is love. There's a verse that says that, God is love. So we can easily make a transition here where we can read that entire passage and we can learn about God. God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. God is not proud. God is not rude. God is not self-seeking. God is not easily angered. Are you happy about that one? God keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. God always protects. God always trusts. God always hopes. God always perseveres. God never fails. I like that because it teaches me about the character of God and what He looks like. But, but I've also told you that we're to, we're to learn to love like Jesus did and what that looks like. And so another thing that we can do using the love filter is we can put our names in there. And that's where it gets a little challenging. And I always say, I wish the first one wasn't patience. Because I have to start with that. Steve is patient. And then generally I go, all right, I'm stuck right there. I'm stopped. <laughs> I'd like to move along, but I can't. Because I'm working on that one still. Which is good. It's challenging. But I can read them. Steve is patient. Sometimes, but not often. Every now and again. When I am patient, I usually get proud over it. And I mess up another one. <laughs> oh, no. Steve is kind sometimes. Steve doesn't envy. Steve doesn't boast. Steve isn't proud. Steve isn't rude. Who? <laughs> Except when somebody does something weird on the road. <laughs> Steve isn't self-seeking. Oh, yeah, he is. Steve isn't easily angered. Steve keeps no record of wrongs. Steve does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Steve always protects. Steve always trusts. Steve always hopes. Steve always perseveres. Steve never fails. Mm. It's a tough filter, but it's a great filter because, you know, I can, I, I'm, but I can see where God's working on me and that there's, there's, there's improvement 30 years into the journey, as there should be. And that's a great thing, but it's a great filter. It's a great thing to think about as you're going through a situation. Am I loving well? Is that, what, what does love look like? Patient, kind? You know, you know it's, a, it's an amazing thing. And so this week as we prepare for Easter weekend, all that it means, take some time each day and think about what motivates you and what motivates your decisions and what's motivating your actions. And, and then when you find out it's, if it's not love... You pray about it. You ask God to help you change there and to move in a new way and not let things get to you that, that have been getting to you. And, and, and it puts us in the right spot with Him. And it helps us then to love well and to encourage and to pray and to bless and to be what we're supposed to be in the world around us. Because ultimately, that's how people are going to come and know what He's done for them and how much He loves it, which is the message of Easter. And, and so think about those things this week and 
let that all sort of sink in. If you're watching by video, thank you for watching. So glad you're taking time to do that. Come and visit us when you can. Uh, if you need prayer, you can go to the website. There's a prayer page. Put your prayer request in. We'll pray for you. We hope to see you soon. God bless.